Welcome to the Commands of Christ podcast brought to you by the Home Discipleship Network. We're excited about guiding people to the Word of God to experience the abundant life and to be encouraged as they walk as disciples of Jesus all through the power of Christ living in us. And now your host, Gabe Cleeter. Welcome back, everyone. We're thrilled to have you joining us once again on the Commands of Christ podcast. And we're uh, honored today to have a special guest in the studio, Dr. Bob Fu. Dr. Fu is the president and the founder of um, China Aid. And I actually first uh, discovered Bob Fu's story. Uh, I was recounting the story to him earlier that I was traveling to uh, New Zealand and Australia to help with some conferences over there, some Christian conferences over there. And I knew the flight is long. The flight from the U.S. to Australia is very long. It's like 17 hours. And so I knew I was going to have a lot of extra time. And so I wanted something to be able to listen to. And a lot of the things on the screens on the plane aren't really worth watching. And so I wanted some meaningful content to be able to listen to as I traveled. And somebody had told me about Dr. Fu's story recounted in his biography, God's Double Agent, of how he came uh, became a Christian in communist China and um, just the work that God did as a result and him eventually coming to the U.S. And so I began to listen to the audiobook of his story and it was gripping. I was challenged. I was encouraged. I was blessed and I was stirred hearing his story of how God worked mightily in his life. And so I'm thrilled now that he's able to join us here in the studio and share his story of God's working in his life. Dr. Fu, it is just a real privilege to have you here. Oh, thank you, Gabe, for having me. So as we um, dig into things here. First off, I would just like, could you tell us a little bit about your story? What was it like growing up as a young boy in communist China, and what was your home situation like? Yeah, Gabe, um, when I was uh, growing up um, basically um, in a very, very humble family. My mother was a beggar, uh, you know, during the 1958 uh, to 1960. Uh, uh, the history of China was called um, the, um, the three years uh, great starvation um, because of the ill political policy of uh, dictator Chairman Mao. Um, he launched that called Great Leap Forward. Uh, basically, at that three years, he was calling China like, within three years, our GDP will catch up with the U.S. and the Great Britain. And uh, because of that, I mean, 40 million people starved to death. And my mother uh, at the time were married, uh, was married uh, with her ex-husband with two children, my elder brother and my elder sister. And uh, they basically were left nothing uh, to eat or to even to leave. Uh, so her ex-husband basically begged her to leave with the two children. So my mom was uh, basically holding um, uh, hand with my elder sister and uh, put uh, my elder brother uh, on her shoulder uh, day and night and uh, weeks and uh, months and years, basically walking uh, village by village, uh, begging food for survival until she met with my father. And they got married, so I was born in that family and uh, basically, you know, experiencing the extreme poverty and social inequality, injustice, and being bullied, you know, from uh, elementary school, and seeing uh, my fellow classmates and basically peeing on, on my shirts. And uh, um, so I initially, you know, as a, a small boy, thinking, well, all because of, uh, you know, poverty and um, uh, that lured our social stat status. 
And I also kind of uh, observed uh, the uh, the Chinese Communist Party try to uh, make class warfare and by basically uh, having the citizens uh, the, in China in different classes. You have, you know, the landlord, former landlord, and uh, many were tortured to death and persecuted. Uh, if you used to work as a civil servant in the uh, prior to Communist Party took power, that's a crime and uh, subject for enormous persecution. And uh, if you even you know had a like high uh, education, that was also a, a kind of a criminal offense uh, during that time. Wow. So growing up um, in, in in that setting and the different things that you faced, what would you say was your what was kind of your goal? What was kind of your as you look towards the future? Like what was your how did that how did that affect your mindset over what direction you wanted to go with your life in the future? Yeah. So when I kind of, uh, you know, as a small boy, uh, you, you try to find the cause and how to kind of uh, move beyond that. And uh, I just felt like why my family were treated that way why my mother you know was not even being um, treated uh, when she was dying um, the local so-called barefoot doctor uh, refused to come to our house to uh, treat her to rescue her and make my uh, sister and i basically kneeling down in front of that doctor's home for a long time the doctor's wife shut down the door mm-hmm. So I kind of tried to find the reason, as I just mentioned, we thought, I thought it was because of we were poor. And so my first childhood dream is to become a millionaire, you know, naturally. <laughs> and then gradually, I, when I went to high school, I found in the communist China, if you become a millionaire, that doesn't guarantee automatically you will be treated fairly uh, with justice and equally. Actually, many millionaires now are afraid of losing their life. Many were killed and imprisoned uh, right now. I think um, uh, because um, basically if you don't have a political cloud, political uh, kind of a rank and file, uh, you will be uh, in danger, uh, even if you're rich. So um, I in high school, my second kind of a, uh, a youth dream was uh, to become the first freely and democratically, democratically elected uh, premier or prime minister. Uh, I even set up a 20 years frame for myself. I thought if I became the, the prime minister of China and um, then uh, at least uh, my mother would be treated better and my family may not be bullied like that way. And um, uh, being, by the way, being a prime minister would guarantee you will be rich. So that's kind of a, a double blessing at that time. <laughs> sure. So, so you had this vision of how you could make you know life better, not just for you, but for your family and even for your fellow countrymen. And that was really your, your heart and desire there. As you transitioned into starting to go to high school and to college, what, what was that like as you as you began to, um, you know, being with your other classmates and, and different things? What was it like kind of um, as, as you began to, to make that transition into high school and college, starting to pursue some of those dreams you had? Yeah, I mean, as I was kind of uh, initially uh, thinking how to 
uh, move forward with my materialistic dream and a political dream, and um, I went to college. And um, basically, that's a, a first step mm -hmm. to realize any dream. Uh, uh, I'm to you know in in China, you you especially I was born raised in countryside. You know that's a uh, automatic uh, lower class as a uh, peasants and peasants' children, and you do not have privilege to go to uh, to be a civil servant or go to uh, uh, kind of uh, uh, become a f uh, official or, or in, in, in any other uh, you know uh, higher education. So to uh, pass the college entrance exam, be a college student, that was the first step to 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 help you. So I kind of uh, was uh, very much uh, looking forward and uh, went to college. And uh, the first step is to join the Communist Party. And uh, because if you can't be a party member, then you do not have a political future either. Mm -hmm. So I was uh, really trying to please everyone, please the Communist Party leaders in the English department where I was uh, mm -hmm. majored and um, try to really behave <laughs> to, to, to get the favor. And uh, yeah, the first year I became a, a kind of a provisional party member. And uh, then 1989, the students' moment in Tiananmen Square started. And uh, that's when that's my kind of destiny was uh, forever changed. Yeah, so, so tell us a little bit about that. You're a college student. You're seeking to, um, to, to, to please those in the Communist Party and leadership in the school because you know this is your path forward to be able to pursue the, the career that you were desiring. You're um, an English major there, and you, you think you maybe see a path to, to, to success into the future. Did you have access to outside news at this time of what was going on in the world around you, um, or how did you get access to that? Not very much, you know. From high school time, I remembered, um, you know, I the the Communist Party, you know, has only one propaganda machine. Basically, every piece of news has to go through Xinhua News Agency or the so-called People's Daily, who does not represent any people, but the Communist Party's mouthpiece. So I try to, you know, really learn uh, what's happening in outside world, what's happening. In the students, uh, actually, the first uh, protest happened in 1986, uh, three day, three years before the uh, uh, Tiananmen students' uh, massacre. I mean, the students' moment, and then, uh, so I was really eager to learn and what's happening in the you know uh, former Soviet Union at that time, and uh, I became a fan of uh, Gorbachev, you know, and uh, so that he's a. Uh, reformed opening policy at the time really impact my life. So I kind of uh, even stole newspaper from the schoolmaster's uh, office because uh, only he himself has the privilege to subscribe that newspaper called Reference News mm -hmm. and where the, the Chinese uh, Communist Party kind of uh, translated and uh, printed some they call the internal news about what's happening in the U.S., foreign policy, uh, world news and reports. So I was so eager and hunger, uh, hungry to absorb that. And of course, uh, went to uh, a college that opened up further because uh, most of my um, uh, foreign teachers are from the United States. So they were treated as a foreign expert, teaching uh, from English 
like basic uh, comprehensive uh, uh, reading to the uh, American uh, literature. And uh, so I was uh, kind of uh, learning uh, more uh, with the interaction with them. So that was actually the first time I kind of learned uh, or at least heard about God and Christianity, about uh, American culture, of course, some Hollywood movies. <laughs> and uh, so we were exposed uh, with that. I think I was radicalized <laughs> sure, <laughs> politically yes. during that time. Yes, by as, as you um, interacted with them. So all of that kind of setting the stage for the students moment in Tiananmen Square and all that happened there. Explain a little bit about the events that led up to that, how you kind of started getting involved in some of the protests and different things, and, and how did that look in your life and what was going on in your own heart at that time? Yeah, I mean, it was a very significant historic year in 1989 uh, when the students' movement started uh, back to April when the former party secretary of the Communist Party uh, reformer died suddenly. I remembered I wrote a poem and uh, commemorating him and uh, sent to our uh, college newspaper. And it was actually printed already. But in the early morning, the editor knocked my door and uh, said, you are in big trouble. We are in big trouble because of a you know, put your poem over on the on the top because the Communist Party did not support this reformer That's that had right. passed away, yeah. right? And yeah. you had written this memorial commending they confiscated, him. Confiscated, they destroyed all the printed newspaper for that uh, yeah, day's issue. So I was very, very, very sad about that. So I kind of started organizing the um, the first protest citywide in my university uh, for uh, protest. And uh, so during that time, actually, the um, that uh, the other Communist Party chief um, was also trying to uh, kind of um, uh, treat the students' uh, protest as a you know pathway for democratization. He was uh, also you know regarded as a reformer. So that's why uh, during the uh, uh, right before the students uh, uh, like major. Uh, protests in, in Beijing, he was uh, ransacked basically uh, by the hardliners. And then uh, I find uh, you know very disturbing when the uh, People's Daily uh, start calling the students uh, peaceful uh, protesters as uh, you know the instigators of uh, social unrest. And then call, later on, of course, call them anti-revolutionary. Um, so I kind of organized our students. Um, uh, a group of ours uh, went to Tiananmen Square, uh, traveling through the bus, through the train uh, from our province and we occupied part of the Tiananmen Square and uh, basically with our flags and then uh, participated, you know, a million people March, uh, uh, then uh, three days before the massacre, um, in, a, in, a mo in a very uh, amazing way, uh, providentially, uh, because my then girlfriend, of course now my wife of uh, 30 years, Heidi, was uh, sick for drinking of unclean water in the Tiananmen Square. You know, mm -hmm. thousands, mm -hmm. hundreds of thousands of students were in the tent, you know, engaging uh, protests occupied there and drinking this unclean water. So she was hospitalized. So I went to the hospital treating her. And then the massacre happened with the military tanks and machine guns and killing you know, thousands of uh, innocent citizens three days later in the early morning of June 4th, 1989. 
And so you had, I mean, just barely a few days before left, before this massacre um, happened, and when you went back to your college and when you first heard reports of what had happened, what what was your, I mean, what was your feeling when you first heard what had happened? Oh, uh, it was a total devastation, shock. total shock, total disappointment. Uh, of course, uh, it's kind of a uh, true uh, kind of a desperate uh, moment. And when I saw my fellow comrades, I mean, I call him, them comrades, who were in the Tiananmen Square, some like uh, uh, crawled barefooted from the Tiananmen Square over the bushes at the Tiananmen Square. And uh, by climbing, on, you know, uh, so many miles and, uh, and uh, jump onto a, a, a truck and uh, uh, went back to the campus, uh, they were kneeling down at the uh, uh, sports arena, I'm on the ground and uh, with blood on their shirt, crying out, said, they did kill, they did kill. It was uh, really uh, like uh, the the end of the, you know, China moment. Uh, you feel like, uh, how could that happen? How could, you know, like a so-called uh, people's government, uh, you know, all the dictators call them people's government mm -hmm. in North Korea or, you know, mm -hmm. uh, Soviet Union at that time, mm -hmm. uh, then Russia, and um, uh, sent its uh, so-called People's Liberation Army, supposed to do national defense, with the tanks and machine guns just ruling over. Mm -hmm. I mean, you have I mean, seen some images, photos mm -hmm. showing people. I mean, one of my friends actually const I mean, instantly lost two legs mm -hmm. for just uh, when the tanks rushing to chasing mm -hmm. him. He saw that young girl, a uh, young student, uh, a girl from her col his college uh, about to be uh, kind of crushed and uh, he and they're just uh, pushed that uh, little, I mean, uh, young student girl just uh, over the fence and uh, he lost his two legs and his two, uh, basically, uh, his body was uh, entangled with the, uh, with the chains of the, the tanks. And um, so he's now in San Francisco and is still on a wheelchair. And uh, it was, uh, you know, many were just instantly became pancakes. Mm. I mean, basically died that way mm. in, a, in a horrible massacre. Mm. Uh, and uh, so you can't really uh, reason and, uh, you know, make sense. Like uh, how can a fellow even human being would do that, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, and so that had to be just a shocking blow, a tragic, horrible thing that had happened. And then, but you had mentioned that you had helped even in your own area lead some protests and different things as the government began to try to clamp down on people and on the true story of what happened there at Tiananmen Square. What happened to you? Did, did, did some of your freedom start to get taken away as well? It was. I mean, we were uh, at the Tiananmen Square. Uh, the Communist Party promised that, okay, we have dialogue. We, you know, you are patriots. You are uh, kind of uh, innocent uh, students. And then all of a sudden, the tanks rule in and uh, without any warning. And we thought at the time, I mean, when I was there camping in the Tiananmen Square, we heard the military vehicles, you know, soldiers were being mobilized from different uh, uh, directions of the Beijing, you know, outskirt. We actually, in, on the train station, we saw soldiers, I mean, thousands of soldiers were already camp there but we all naively think well maybe they just try to scare us maybe just to mm -hmm. to go there to forcefully evacuate us i mean who would have thought they would shoot with machine guns you mm -hmm. know and you know to the real people mm -hmm. and, and let alone the students and um so 
I was uh, very, very much uh, really uh, disillusioned in a sense. Uh, like uh, I start doubting like uh, myself. Uh, I mean, of course, doubt uh, the the, uh, the government, uh, this, the the Communist Party. And uh, I was forced to cancel all my classes and uh, being put in a dark interrogation room day and night to write confessions, treated like a criminal. And um, so that was the hardest moment, you know, in my life. Uh, I, I was uh, thinking, already contemplating, you know, if I might be sent to prison. And that means not only my destiny, my life would be terminated, but uh, the... Uh, rest of uh, my family and my village, my whole county, the people would be implied, you know, that if you are treated as a political criminal and um, no fellow uh, like county man in my, not only my village, you know, my, my county may not be allowed to get, join the uh, Chinese military, be a civil servant. So that's, a huge uh, uh, shame, uh, embarrassment. Uh, I would rather die mm -hmm. than being sent back to my village as a political prisoner. Uh, so I was contemplating even to commit a suicide. And, uh, you know, I don't feel, because uh, one of my fellow comrades, uh, he was uh, basically already imprisoned and uh, uh, had a heart attack and, uh, you know, uh, was persecuted. Uh, but that was the moment, of course, you know, God and the, through his Holy Spirit captured my soul and, um, you know, exposed me with the true gospel of Jesus Christ and saved me out of that moment. And isn't it so often how God does that is he, is he brings us to the end of ourselves, right? Somebody said one time, you don't always realize God's all you need until he's all you have. And even as you've had so many things shaken, you know, you had obviously your, your plans for the future had been you know, possibly in a political way, but now that kind of, you see that the chances oh, of reform, oh, in the you know, was not, not going, yeah, that, yeah. that dream was broken. And obviously now your, your college being jeopardized, which would have been your path towards further education and, and making um, a, a, a more money to be able to help your family. You see that, the, and so all your hopes and dreams are kind of coming, crumbling down here. Yeah. Um, and you're facing, you know, the, uh, the, the this, this, in many ways, darkest moment of your life. And in, in many ways, did how, how did your, your other friends at college and everything, how did they treat you in this situation? Yeah, that was the hardest thing, was the relational damage. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, because some of those, uh, you know, I, friends, uh, classmates, I treat them very well. And I actually had such a confidence of my own personality. I thought I could change them. And some of them became my loyal <laughs> fans and basically <laughs> followers. And they follow me all the way to Tiananmen Square. Uh, and basically uh, be every command I, do, I give to them. And uh, if uh, one day there is a Bob Fu administration, they would be my natural cabinet members, uh, candidate list. And uh, they even bite their fingers and uh, use their own blood, right, democracy, freedom. Mm. Then all of a sudden I found um, some of them uh, start betraying me during the interrogation time and the so-called confession time. So they write false uh, evidence, a false narrative, false stories in order to escape their responsibility and accusing me, uh, you know, with lies. So I kind of uh, was devastated on that. So 
it was a really and the many classmates kind of uh, turned off. I mean, mm. they actually went see I was walking toward them. They kind of uh, escape. I mean, uh, avoid uh, walking the same road with me. And uh, I have to give credit to my uh, then girlfriend and Heidi. Now, of course, my wife, and uh, she was my. Uh, the most loyal one <laughs> staying the course. So she was the only one that stayed with you, but many of your friends had forsaken you. You know, you're, you're facing, you know, the, this, the, perhaps the, the darkest moment of your life. And then Jesus, right? And, 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 yeah. and how did you find out about Jesus? How did you find out about the gospel? How did the hope of Jesus pierce the darkness of your situation? Yeah, so I mean, never underestimate this any kind of uh, moment of a crisis or the life uh, distress, uh, despair, desperate time, because uh, God uh, must have something, uh, uh, you know, come out of that uh, for your uh, planned uh, kind of destiny. So I was. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, every night uh, being called uh, to be sitting uh, at the very end of the classroom, uh, waiting for the interrogator's uh, call to, you know, fingerprint, uh, you know, any confession, uh, even uh, grammatical mistakes have to be fingerprinted. Uh, but that night, I remembered um, I was handed over with a, a book uh, from one of my classmates. It was a uh, a book written actually in an old uh, Chinese, uh, traditional Chinese way, only used in Taiwan and Hong Kong. And uh, we're using simplified Chinese in, in mainland China already. And um, it, it was um, a biography of a Chinese uh, pastor um, in early 1900, and his name is Xi Shengmo. And uh, he, his story basically, I mean, uh, by the way, so it was a book smuggled in, a biography book of uh, that pastor smuggled in by our American uh, English teacher who were secret, secret missionaries actually, and um, they have a mission. So they uh, shared that book with uh, another, that classmate, he was not interested at that time. And so he handed it to me, he said, oh, maybe you can read this. Guess what, that's how God moves and uh, so I, read the book and uh, basically finished with one breath kind of uh, it was fascinating it was uh, uh, gripping uh, to my spirit and my heart basically sharing that story about how that pastor from a, a drug addicted you know opium addicted uh, but a public i mean a very uh, smart intellectual but was dying and then the uh, gospel came in uh, through the Hudson Taylor's group, the Tiny Inland Mission, and uh, he heard the gospel and uh, gave his life to the Lord Jesus Christ and surrender. And then not only his whole life was transformed, totally changed, uh, after he committed his life to Christ by getting, reading, uh, getting rid of uh, his uh, opium addiction, but God used him setting up hundreds of uh, opium prevention center. He called a gospel, you know, kind of uh, opium prevention center through the gospel uh, in all over Shanxi province and uh, saved, uh, you know, thousands of thousands of lives. So I almost basically, you know, as I was reading, kneeling down on the floor, almost like, you know, 
this God, you know, is a is is a living God. He is true, and uh, he was almost like calling me, like uh, how could I escape knowing him? And especially those uh, beautiful, I call beautiful words that. You know, one year later, when I got my first copy of the Bible, the scripture, I kind of still kept my nose uh, today and, uh, you know, compare the nose with the scripture. It's a beautiful sentences like, uh, you know, if uh, uh, anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. You know, that was the dream. I, I, I want to become a new creation. I want, to, actually, the Communist Party calling us to become a new creation for the new generation. But I knew as long as my hearts were being darkened, it's full of hatred, full of resentment at that time. And um, I could not change myself. And uh, here the promise is if you anyone, not only for Americans, because I heard, you know, I saw those Americans teachers, Christians, their love, their smile are so genuine, so uh, kind of different. Uh, and um, I was fascinated, at least want to learn. But then, that only then by that time, I see, oh, that is the secret. And um, you are in Christ. You can be a new creation. And uh, nobody can make a new creation until the Creator, the Redeemer himself, and uh, I was uh, as uh, you know convicted, as deprived, as uh, deprived as you know sinful as my traitors, my betrayers, and I have no power, no authority, no ability to change anyone, and except uh, if I surrender my life to be changed first, and uh, my heart has to be uh, has to be transformed, and only in Christ. Can, could that happen? Mm, and so as you read these wonderful words of life from the Word of God, that if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. As you read of this good news, was it at that time that you gave your life to Jesus? Yes. I actually did not know how to become formally a Christian because I, if you want to become a, a Communist Party member, you have to have a swear in, like a Pledge of Allegiance time. So I was like seeking a time. I said, you know, who should I turn to to ask? I knew one of my American teachers from California because he was the one kind of uh, tried to use his, uh, you know, later on I knew it was a, a pocket Bible or, or something, a part of the maybe the, the, the four Gospels. And um, after class, I tried to spread what we call superstition message to us. And I used to argue with him and, uh, you know, we said, okay, religion, we don't need that anymore. And uh, Christianity, God, maybe uh, American God, we don't need to uh, import the American God help us. We only need, you know, the uh, Microsoft, McDonald, you know, kind of a technology and science. But uh, so I went to him. Uh, next day I said, Brent, his name is Brent. I said, I saw a light last night reading the uh, Pastor Season Woods biography. I want to become a follower of Christ. I want to be, you know, to believe in God. And uh, he was, said, you know, what? He thought I was a KGB, you know, spy, <laughs> trying to, you know, to, to investigate or spy his missionary activities. And he asked me to write my first written uh, testimony of my conversion. And so I just uh, translate in my diary and basically and handed him and he nailed down mm -hmm. you know and said let's pray and led me 
the prayer to accept Christ as my Savior and Lord since then. Wow. Praise the Lord. What an, what an amazing testimony how God had, had brought you to a, a place of coming to the end of yourself, so much that you had clung to and hoped in had collapsed around you, but that yeah. was the point where Jesus revealed himself as your Savior and the way that you could become a new creature in Christ, Amen. not a better creature, a new creature, new creature. Um, in Christ. What happened in your life as a result? After giving your life to Christ, what big changes did you begin to see in your life? Oh, it was uh, dramatic. It was uh, a real transformative. I guess, you know, when you were like uh, Jesus called to us to be a child, right? You know, to like uh, come to me like a child and uh, uh, like children. So I was just uh, really, as soon as I committed my life to the Lord, really, the next day I found even the birds start singing to me. I All of a sudden, the hatred was removed uh, toward my enemies, toward those traitors or betrayers of me, uh, uh, unspeakable, unexplainable compassion got just uh, growing in my heart. I just felt like, oh, you know, this is the good news, you know. It is a true good news. How mm-hmm. can I hide from them? So I start, you know, t- t- attempting to share, although I didn't know the full, really, picture of the gospel, only learned a little bit. So became a like a street evangelist <laughs> quickly, and uh, uh, and um, then you know the Lord kind of uh, started a revival in our uh, campus. I was uh, really the first spiritual fruit as a Chinese student, uh, first generation of Chinese student Christians. You know this. Uh, I have to really give thanks to the Lord for sending these American missionaries there. They were, you know, praying for over. S- five, six, seven years without a, a, a new convert. So we need to be a little bit per- patient when you support a missionary. And it takes a while. Uh, and uh, so the first Christian Bafu uh, came out and then, you know, it took me one week. And uh, uh, after I shared the gospel and uh, to my then girlfriend Heidi and uh, she persecuted me one week, uh, praise the Lord. And uh, then she also came to know the Lord and uh, commit her life. And then really more students and more uh, even professors uh, come to the Bible study to, you know, to, to kind of uh, uh, to, to Christ. Uh, it was a big revival. Uh, continues today. That's wonderful. It reminds me even at the woman at the well when she had this amazing encounter with Jesus and she ran back to her friends and maybe family and said, come meet the man that told me everything I ever did. And that's like like what you were doing. You were testifying of the work that Christ had done in your life. And through that, God brought in a revival that's even continued to this day. And that's a wonderful thing. Um, What, as you began to share your faith and and, and share with uh, with others, um, did you begin to face pushback from the government, the communist government, because of your outspokenness about your faith? Oh, you bet. And I didn't even know there is a religious policy forbidding, you know, evangelism, forbidding uh, converts in the college. And until one day I was just walking on the street, I mean, in the in the in the campus and uh, I was grabbed by then uh, state security agents, basically, who was part of the investigation team and pulled me into a park and uh, said, uh, seriously, said, uh, no, you can't uh, share your message, your superstition uh, message to other students. And um, the, the students uh, in China are called the successors of uh, communism and socialism. And uh, it's forbidden. And otherwise, he said, you will 
get into further trouble uh, beyond the Tiananmen Square participation. And then, of course, I, by God's grace, I went to Beijing and uh, you know continue my uh, graduate graduate school studies time. I learned more that the Communist Party actually has uh, such policies, and uh, the persecution has been very severe because it was a total different world, you know. Uh, compared to what uh, my experience in college, right, uh, as a student, and uh, then when uh, I was baptized, uh, the the the, the uh, pastor who baptized me uh, spent over 16 years, nearly 17 years imprisonment for the gospel, and uh, then in 1993, when Heidi and I got married, the pastor who married me, uh, Pastor married ours, Pastor Alan Yuan from Beijing, spent over 22 years in prison uh, for the gospel. So they kept telling me, that if you want to be a faithful follower of Christ in China, the first uh, seminary course you have to take is not selective, it's called prison theology, or theology of the cross, I mean, whatever you call it. Mm -hmm. But uh, everyone in the first generation of house church leaders, like the independent church in China, had uh, in prison, uh, had been imprisoned, um, you know, multiple times. Some, you know, with many years and uh, torture, and some mm -hmm. were even martyred. Wow! So before you um, joined the prison seminary <laughs> or were in admitted into the prison seminary, yeah. um, prior to that, as you had pursued education, you know, you were able to be able to go to pursue your further education. Mm -hmm. um, and now you're looking at what your career you're going to choose. And in the past, you've you know had the goal of you know making a million dollars and things yeah. that way. But now Jesus is in your life, and He's yeah. giving you a new kind of direction to live for Him and His kingdom. So, what kind of career did you start to pursue um, as you came out of college? Yeah, I was uh, even during the graduate school. My uh, roommate uh, already nicknamed me as a mich missionary. They called missionary fool. <laughs> and, uh, so I guess uh, you know it's kind of a the, the passion and the love of Christ, as uh, you know, Second Corinthians five, uh, Paul said, if if the love of Christ compels us, you know, to uh, reconcile with God, the, the proclaim the good news of Christ. So that was the time, I just could not help but just uh, sharing the gospel with whoever I meet, wherever I go, and uh, the, the 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 fruit of the uh, Holy Spirit also followed. I mean, there. Like in my college alone, I mean, in the past 30 years or so, I mean, or I mean, after we left, we I heard at least, uh, you know, over 10,000, you know, students were baptized uh, going through that college. And it was uh, amazing. Uh, I, the revival, I was told, continues. The campus churches, underground churches were planted, multiple churches. And uh, so in Beijing, in the when I was there, I found in Beijing University alone, a communist university, kind of China's Harvard, the top university, at that time have over 500 Bible study groups. 500 Amazing. Bible study groups. And all the foreigners, the missionaries, I mean, who were English teachers, they were so busy, like the calendar, like, you know, they have to schedule every 30 minutes from the calendar. And uh, it was uh, just a phenomenal how the Lord loved. Like uh, I'm actually, you know, in 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 the in the redemptive history, uh, we can tell, you know, from the biblical narrative, um, you know, uh, when Esther was put in that, uh, you know, the king's court, right? Mm -hmm. 
and uh, it was uh, the enemy was playing some some very evil deeds, right? But in the end, what the enemies intended, actually, God make it a, a reversal. I mean, <laughs> for His kingdom. So the 1989 uh, Tiananmen Square massacre was a tragedy. You know, was uh, made the thousands of lives or cost. Um, but I think uh, one greatest things out of that massacre, God really uh, uh, instigated the greatest redemptive uh, history. Uh, I mean, among the Chinese intellectuals, out of that tragedy, literally hundreds of thousands. Uh, Chinese students, professors, intellectuals had come to Christ right after that. I mean, it was uh, before that, it, there was a revival among the rural areas in the uh, farmers, you know, in the, in, in, the, in the countryside. But right after that, oh my goodness, you see how God's hands were there. And um, so that's another beauty is uh, the prison theology, you know, mm -hmm. when actually the Communist Party were persecuting more and uh, the more revival occurs. I mean, even in prison, you saw the prison guards. So you saw, I mean, you know, Heidi and I were both thrown into prison. We started that uh, intensive prison theology course <laughs> two months. And uh, by the end of uh, really the first uh, month, uh, all the prisoners in my prison cell had treated me as their spiritual counselors already. Everyone came to me confessing <laughs> like uh, their criminal so if I betrayed them they would be sentenced much you know longer but uh, they are hungry for the gospel I mean many even uh, the, the testimony I heard from many house church uh, uh, prisoners they said prison guards have come to Christ even the the the, the kind of uh, prison officials had come to Christ they became house church leaders I mean talk about from Saul to Paul experience all over. And isn't that amazing? It reminds me of what happened to Joseph and just even in the scriptures and how Joseph, you know, faced betrayal from his brothers and then sold into slavery and all the difficult things that he walked through and even was forgotten in prison and all of those things. But in the end, he could look at his brothers and say, what you meant for evil, God used for good. Amen. And, yeah. what, and it's amazing how God has taken these things that the enemy meant for evil and turned around and used them for good. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about, because I know from your story that you, when you finished graduate school, you ended up um, becoming a teacher and you were actually teaching in the communist colleges. But then also on the other side at night, if you will, you were helping disciple those in the house churches. Tell us a little bit about what it was like being, if I could use this term, God's double agent. Yeah, that's the God's double agent story when I was uh, interviewed by, I think, Washington Post. And uh, somebody called me and said, okay, God's double agent, <laughs> uh, when I shared the story. So that's the title of my memoir. And uh, it was uh, another uh, kind of humor of God in that sense, uh, because uh, I was praying before I graduated from my graduate school, you know, for a job that I can, you know, really put most of my time to in serving the Lord in the evangelism, church planting, and maybe least of the time in the Communist Party, because uh, everyone at that time, you have to be assigned for a job. So I'm so I was looking and praying, and a lot of other windows opened, you know, for me to be uh, working in some multi-billion-dollar corporations, to be a translator, get double salary, opportunity to be sent overseas, 
And then this opportunity to be an English teacher in the Communist Party school opened up, and uh, that kind of uh, sealed the deal. Because uh, when I was there, uh, not only I had a very light job teaching ABC to the Communist Party leaders during the daytime with only eight hours a requirement, eight hours a week, you know. You don't don't you think it's a easiest job for you know? <laughs> right. Yes, and, that'd be great. Uh, yes, and then the rest of the time I was as busy as any full-time pastor, church planter, evangelist, and counselors. And basically, I was the busiest ministry time in my whole life. And uh, then I knew from the predecessors uh, predecessors of my, you know, the, those uh, house church leaders, uh, prison theology. Mm-hmm. Unless you are lazy, you don't want to be faithful. And then, you know, prison theology is not a select course, you know. Mm-hmm. So I just prayed to the Lord. I said, you know, okay, you know, just I'm, I, I still had a little faith. Maybe if mm-hmm. give me three mm-hmm. more years to mm-hmm. train, uh, mm-hmm. to be trained. And, um, and then, uh, and also the, the humor of God is uh, every uh, uh, month I got a full-time faculty salary uh, a paycheck from the Communist Party directly as my mission fund. You know, <laughs> that was uh, the best uh, sweet deal, right? And uh, so I kind of um, uh, wait for that moment and uh, keep, uh, I mean, uh, evangelizing and sharing the gospel. Many students had come to Christ and we planted the church. And later on, we established an underground seminary uh, in the suburb of Beijing with the uh, all the tables and chairs directly from the Communist Party school because they retired this school with the Communist Party logo over there. It was uh, just amazing uh, kind of how see how humorous our God is. Yes, isn't it amazing? And, and God works in, in amazing ways. And so you're you're working with the house churches. You're helping run this underground, you know, seminary, um, encouraging and discipling believers. Um, and God's working in a mighty and powerful way. Um, and then you got your experience in prison theology. Tell us a little bit about what happened with that. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, in the prison, of course, uh, it's the first uh, three days and nights, so nonstop interrogation, torture, I mean, beating you and uh, no sleep. I mean, they would not let you sleep. They tried to break you, right? And But the Lord, I mean, sustained me by His grace, and I was... Uh, very, very, you know, it was hard experience, uh, a kind of, uh, uh, especially without knowing whether anyone knew what happened and uh, what, what happened to my wife, you know, Heidi. And, uh, but uh, the Lord, uh, in a, another humorous way, uh, during my interrogation session, uh, the chief interrogator sarcastically, like, informing me, said, ha, huh, you know, many people in the outside world were caring about you. That one sentence gave me the best wow. comfort in my whole that two months prison time because from that point on I knew I was not alone. Mm-hmm. I was not uh, fighting uh, mm-hmm. kind of uh, uh, lonely, and uh, many brothers and sisters must have been praying or pressing for my freedom. And uh, then one day the, the interrogator said, "Oh, your wife." actually is uh, much stubborn than you. So that was the greatest comment of my wife. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes, you know, stubbornness uh, could be a virtue in the interrogation room. I knew she wouldn't betray me and our brothers and sisters. And uh, so she was already uh, put in a women's section for the prison on the same day after I was arrested. So 
Uh, and then after I threw into the prison cell, I mean, 30 people, criminals, were put in the one, 20, maybe square meter uh, kind of a room. And um, basically, you were put there. And uh, <laughs> I said, uh, uh, land, uh, air, and sea. Basically, you know, there is only one concrete bed and only can hold a certain number. So everybody else sleep on the ground, ground wet floor. And um, so because I was a political uh, prisoner, so they gave me like very uh, small inch, <laughs> several inches of space on the uh, bed uh, first night. But if you, you know, move or going up to the toilet and then you do not have space <laughs> anymore. And uh, but the hungry spirit of those uh, prisoners from, you know, some former high rank of, uh, official to drug dealers, drug lords, all together. And you can tell what does it mean prison theology. It's really the hungry souls. They are waiting for God to send a, a messenger to be there uh, for that purpose to share the gospel. Mm. And um, so I just... Uh, uh, be that uh, whatever the Lord commands me and uh, share the gospel one by one with them. And um, yeah, I'm sure the seed was planted. Some had come to Christ. Amazing. And I, 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 I'm reminded of the verse where it, the scripture says the word of God is not bound. Um, and just how yeah. God's word, um, the power of God's word as you shared it both when you were outside of, of, of prison and helping and discipling and working with the house churches and then arrested mm -hmm. for your work of sharing the gospel and running this underground um, yeah. Bible seminary. And, and then you went to prison and were able to lead people there to Christ. And, and so God is not bound and he's not limited. That's right. Let me ask this. How long were you in the prison um, and what happened as you got out? Yeah, we were arrested under the charge of uh, illegal evangelism. I mean, that's they said you don't have a credential or only the Communist Party can stamp your credential. And uh, so you, you, that's, you're engaging in illegal religious activities. And um, so we, uh, I think the Lord, number one, maybe know our faith is uh, still not strong to continue maybe more years in imprisonment. Mm -hmm. And number two is... Uh, the Lord's answered lots of prayers after we were out, released temporarily and immediately under house arrest, actually. And we learned uh, there are many brothers and sisters, even the mayor of D.C. from Washington uh, wrote a letter and, uh, uh, and gave to the, uh, uh, the uh, Beijing mayor who was visiting Washington, D.C., uh, demanding uh, for Heidi and uh, my uh, freedom. And so it was uh, really the, the Lord's hands were there. And then we were put under house arrest and then uh, being uh, interrogated uh, uh, twice again and being taken uh, to the police station or to a park by these secret agents. And uh, then my wife was pregnant without pregnancy permit. You know, in China, uh, that back then was the one, the, the family planning policy is still going on, the, um, the, the family planning policy. But now they allow three children. Actually, they're almost not forcing any women who are married to have three children because of the gender imbalance. There are 20 million, 20 million more men than women now, more boys than girls. And uh, there is a major labor shortage. And um, 
there is a population crisis now in China in that uh, this way. And so anyway, so back then you have to, even after you get married, you have to apply for a birth permit before you can get pregnant. So uh, even after we got married for three years, I could not get a, get a quota from the party school, a communist party school, because you have to be waiting for the quota to come. And um, so uh, she was illegally pregnant and uh, without permit, that means a forced abortion could come any time if she's found. And there, by the way, the Communist Party proudly announced that they had prevented over 350 million children from being born by enforcing the so-called family planning policy since the 1980s. Yeah, that most of them were forcibly aborted. I mean, some I knew because of my even own elder brother uh, during the midnight, uh, the family planning official would jump into our yard and uh, arrested him and put a hold on him and wrapped him up and start beating him because my sister-in-law escaped after the pregnancy for the second child. And uh, so many, you know, women uh, and even Christian, uh, Christian ladies, you know, were pregnant with uh, eight months, nine months, some 10 months pregnancy, um, were forcibly aborted. They would uh, uh, force you. That's the cruelty is uh, to pay for the for the abortion phase, and some would put, uh, you know, baby tissues that were on the bed in order to, to 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 kind of uh, uh, torture the mom. And uh, we saw photos. We saw. I mean, I was on the phone with the pastor's wife. I mean, when the wife was uh, was arrested and put on a bed, and then you know, I called for Washington Post, called for Wall Street Journal. Uh, you know, a journalist uh, to intervene, and it was too late. She was already receiving, I mean, two doses of poison, uh, you know, drugs, and into her tummy, and mm -hmm. the baby was, was killed. Mm -hmm. So that was uh, the, the, the situation we could face. And uh, so that was the time. Heidi and I, we put up a plan, plan to escape from that building, and I kind of literally jumped out of the tall building from the toilet, yeah, tell us about that a little bit. What did that look like? Is you realized you're like, okay, your wife is pregnant. You're going to have to go ahead and you've made the decision that you're going to leave China. What, how, how did you plan this escape? Because you were kind of under house arrest, right? Yes, in this we were tell under house arrest that. in the party school. And uh, we, uh, I, we didn't plan really to escape from China because we don't have a passport. We didn't know, you know how to do that. But at least we want to escape from Beijing. And so that the family planning official in Beijing would not capture uh, Heidi. So we, uh, I basically, uh, you know, have to make Heidi disguise because she was pregnant. She can't jump. So I kind of uh, went to the toilet room. Uh, it was like a, a big building, and uh, the the whole floor, you know, one section shared one toilet room. I mean, like uh, maybe ten families. And uh, we each one, we have a dorm. Uh, and um, so I went there and uh, see, of course, it was dark. And uh, that was uh, really the jump of uh, faith, the leap of faith, <laughs> what do you call it? You yes. know, like uh, the, uh, uh, so I prayed to the Lord, you know, that this is it. And uh, send your angel, help me. And uh, uh, so I jumped and, uh, you know, passed out for 
few moments and uh, and cr- lost my eyeglasses, crawling on the ground in the grasses, and then uh, I got uh, out, and um, then Heidi disguised herself. We immediately escaped out of Beijing, hiding in the countryside, and until uh, you know she got uh, some medical check from some barefoot doctor in the countryside, and then uh, we. Uh, um, basically pray to the Lord, uh, the, the, you know, please open the door. So one day, uh, sooner or later, we could be captured. Uh, and um, then the Lord miraculously opened the door. And uh, finally, we were able to get out of China through Thailand, then to Hong Kong. And that's before Hong Kong was turned over. So we stayed there for seven, uh, over seven months where our first boy, our first son, I mean, our son was born as a stateless child, as refugee. Uh, and three days before Hong Kong was turned over to China, mm. God opened a, miraculously another door. Wow. We were accepted as refugees to the United States of America. Wow, praise the Lord. What an amazing yeah. story of how God brought you um, to freedom in Christ, um, first and yeah. foremost, and then also then as you as he led you along and allowed you to, to share the gospel with many and be used powerfully, Lord, there in China, and then um, ended up ultimately escaping from China and coming to the U.S. What was, when you when you arrived at the U.S., what was your, um, you know, you, you're now, you, you, you find, you know, you're, you, the newfound freedoms and things that you have there in the U.S., but I know from your story that your heart was actually still to help your brothers and sisters that yeah. were still in China. Tell us a little bit about that, what, what, what that looked like. First of all, maybe your first impression when you came to the U.S., and then how your heart was still to help your brothers and sisters in China. Yeah, I mean, um, the first impression is uh, freedom uh, and also choice. There, I mean, the first uh, uh, shopping tour uh, to a grocery store was like, Ooh, there's so many kinds of groups, you know, kind of lying. I mean, it make you like stand there, uh, really pause and feel like, you know, which one is hard to choose. And in China, so you have no choice. And your only choice is either choose God or choose Communist Party. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing go between. I mean, in between. And uh, so um, the, 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 that kind of uh, my first impression. And um, so sometimes maybe uh, a lot of freedom, a lot of choices is another test of your faith, right? It's true. It's, it's right, hard. That's so true. Yeah, yes. yeah. And uh, it takes a lot of discipline um, to, to make the right choice and to, yes. to, to, to take uh, advantage of your freedom. And uh, I think, uh, or take for granted of your freedom right. sometimes. And um, uh, but the Lord's command, I mean, mm-hmm. number one is, uh, you know, um, if your brother is hungry, uh, a piece of bread; thirsty, a cup of water; mm-hmm. naked, a piece of clothes; imprisoned, visit him. Mm-hmm. If you do this to the least of your brothers, you're doing that to me. I mean, I mean that uh, the Hebrew also teaches us uh, in thirteen three that um, remember those who are imprisoned as if we are the fellow prisoners, almost every day. So I was uh, in Westminster Theological Seminary uh, studying summer Greek. I was uh, the first uh, American torture for me, <laughs> <laughs> and started my seminary career. And uh, but every day. You know, besides memorizing the Greek Hebrew, uh, Greek vocabularies, 
I got phone calls, got messages. At that time, fax machine was still working. <laughs> no Twitter, no, no social media. And um, I keep receiving those uh, uh, um, uh, messages of persecution, stories of those uh, brothers and sisters that I know or not know, uh, how certain leaders sometimes on the phone calling me said, please pray for us, help us, they are coming. I could hear the door was being knocked. The pre uh, police came in and started uh, beating up. You know, children were crying. So how could you sit quietly or, you know, silently and uh, just to focus on your own family or, or you know, uh, memorizing the Greek vocabulary? You know, yes, mm -hmm. I still need to catch up uh, to pass my test. And... Uh, this uh, uh, minimum, I can, you know, have freedom pray, right? Freedom to pray. We actually, we just built a website called freedomtopray.com mm -hmm. so that we can let our Western brothers and sisters know, you know, the stories and how and to, I mean, who's uh, names you can pray mm -hmm. for. And uh, so that's uh, the the start of uh, ministry of chinaaid.org. Chinaaid basically is a Christian ministry with the purpose to walk with those persecuted by brothers and sisters, uh, you know, by exposing the abuses of their persecution, by encouraging those who are persecuted, by equipping the leaders of those house churches so that um, they not only kind of, uh, um, you know, know they are persecuted for the gospel, but uh, they know they are fighting uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, um, uh, not alone, not lonely, mm -hmm. that brothers and sisters in the West, uh, in America, in the UK, in other parts of the world, it's the same part of, same body of Christ. One part suffer, the whole body can feel the sufferer, can know the sufferer, and to really rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. I think that was um, the purpose of China Aid. Mm -hmm. So we have been really in the past uh, uh, 20 years have been helping hundreds, you know, millions of uh, persecuted brothers and sisters uh, from persecution to freedom in the U.S. Well, thank you so much for, for sharing this and, and for sharing your story. And I just would encourage our listeners, too, to check out ChinaAid.org and find out more of the work, the great work that Dr. Fu is doing, as well as to get his book, um, God's Double Agent. It's a gripping story. I can, I've listened to it twice via audiobook and just found it to be encouraging, compelling, and an amazing testimony of God's working through um, our brother here. As we close out here, Dr. Fu, if I would just wonder if you could, is there any closing word you would want to give for, for some of our listeners that may be walking through some hard and difficult times, whatever it is that they're facing in life, of just um, looking to the Lord in the midst of those things and how God wants to work in the midst of those hard things that we face in life, what word of encouragement would you give our listeners of, of how to walk with God in and through hard times? Yeah, a part of the scripture, um, you know, uh, at the Philippians, Paul says, um, uh, brothers, uh, we're not only granted uh, to uh, believe in Christ, but also to suffer for him. Um, that verse really, I think, uh, coupled with um, the, both the story of uh, Richard Rundbrad, the founder of Voice of Martyrs, who spent 14 years in communist Romania prison, he called it uh, sufferology. Mm -hmm. 
I think I want to really encourage and sometimes remind or maybe admonish about this term sufferology. I think to uh, understand, you know, um, the suffering for godliness uh, is not a shame, it's a glory. And Paul actually had uh, specifically, you know, in his prison uh, in, with uh, Silas, you know, when, even when they were chained, remember, they were not like holding the grudge, resentment, or complaining, oh, why I'm, not, I'm, I'm so unfortunate, <laughs> you know, <laughs> why there's COVID, why there's three years of lockdown, you know, uh, even the communists uh, in, in the United States, you know, socialists, the communists, I call them, because they are uh, very similar style, and try to lock you down, try to order not only when you can worship, but how you can worship. And uh, very dangerous time. I think of you know many of us in the in the West even um, is uh, is very in distress, and uh, many uh, are really I think uh, in in a very hard uh, trouble time. So I want to encourage everyone. You know, uh, don't like uh, try to avoid uh, the suffering. Um, instead, you know, uh, try to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. And then that sufferer will become a tremendous blessing, tremendous blessing. Mm -hmm. And you can't underestimate that. Of course, you know, if you do something wrong or commit sins, that's uh, uh, the consequence. Mm -hmm. But uh, to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you will have persecution. And the God is not demanding how much work, how big volume of work you are you know you need to do to get your salvation or justification or sanctification there's none of that you can do but actually it's uh, through the amazing grace of christ and totally dependent on him and especially in the midst of suffering and then uh, for godliness and then when the persecution does come just some, you know, unspeakable joy, unspeakable comfort, unspeakable uh, growth of your faith will come. Mm -hmm. Actually, the growth of the church is guaranteed to come. That's mm -hmm. the biblical paradigm from the book of Acts to the experience of uh, Chinese house church. When Communist Party took power in 1949, uh, gave, uh, the number of Chinese Christians was only uh, estimated with less than one million. To be exact, 700,000 after one half centuries labor by the foreign missionaries. Some shed their blood, you know, were martyred over there. After 70 years of Chinese communist ruling with nonstop persecution, you know, the harassment, the day to day, I mean, even every week we have seen stories from Chinese website, you know, we received the persecution. Do you know how many? Uh, can you give a guess, like how many Christians in China now today? A few million? Over 100 to 130 million. Wow. That's a hundredfold growth, a hundredfold growth under the Communist Party's nonstop persecution. Amen. Only God can do that. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for sharing that. And that's very encouraging to hear. You know, I, I've, I've thought of it like when 
trying to put Christianity out with persecution is like trying to put a fire out with gasoline. It just spreads and it grows and it expands. Amen. And, um, I, and, and wise words that you shared of how God used sufferology in our life, how he uses suffering and trial and difficulty to grow us in our walk with him. I think of what Paul said in Philippians, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. And so Amen. as we walk with the Lord through that, we get to know him in that way. Well, Dr. Fu, it has been a tremendous honor and a privilege to have you as a guest here on the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank you all for listening. And thank I would once again just encourage you to check out um, uh, Dr. Fu's book, uh, God's Double Agent. There's much that we left out of his story of God's working in different other aspects and areas that you'll want to get the book and read it because um, it's just a very encouraging to hear that testimony. You know, as we close out here, I think of how with our podcast um, theme being the commands of Christ, I just think of how many of the commands of Christ that, that, that Dr. Fu shared with us that he walked in as whether it was the command of Christ to follow me or to let your light shine or to fear not um, or um, the to, to bless those that curse us and do good to those that hate us and pray for us despitefully use us. There's just so many different aspects and ways. And I appreciate Dr. Fu sharing with us from his own life as, how, as he lived out the teachings of Jesus through the power of Christ dwelling in him um, as he did that, the amazing work that God did as a result. So may the Lord bless each of you as you seek to live out the Christ's commands through his power dwelling in you. May he work in a mighty and powerful way and make your life a testimony of his greatness and his power as he works in and through you. So may the Lord richly bless you and we look forward to having you join us next week. God bless. Thank you for joining us on this journey through the commands of Christ brought to you by the Home Discipleship Network. If you would like to go deeper in this month's focus, head over to homediscipleshipnetwork.org where you can download a free study guide to accompany each command. And if today is your first time with us, please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform so you will be able to join us each week as we explore the commands of Christ together. That's it for today, and we'll be back with more next week.